I think a lot of brands behave like parents who won't let a teenager move away from home, trying to control them and all this stuff, right? Not really respecting that now we're dealing with a young adult. Yeah, that sometimes does mistakes, but that's how it is growing up. And, and unfortunately, I think most brands still sort of live in that area of mass marketing. They haven't really come to grips with the fact that if you want to engage me, it needs to be on my terms. <laughs> it's that simple. It's a completely different generation that's growing up right now. I mean, if I take my niece, she's 15. She knows what it takes to get likes on Instagram. She knows what it takes to convert people, to get them to click on images and stuff. She's probably a better CMO than most CMOs out there. And, and so it's quite a challenging space to operate in, especially if you insist on your way. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and you are listening to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, here's today's question. How do you feel about the word purpose? Does it light you up? Does it make you feel aligned and on fire to make a difference? Or does it leave you feeling just a little bit disconnected, slightly standoffish and wanting to change the subject? For me, I've always been in the latter camp. I've always understood the need for clarifying purpose in a directional sense. Who are we as individuals or as a collective? What are we here to do? And how do we want to do it in a way that speaks to who we are? After that point, to be honest, my skin just generally starts to crawl a little. And that's usually the point where it starts getting into grand statements, big, decisive, yet also vague commitments about helping people or making the world a better place. Bizarre pictures of happy people and animals holding hands, you know, you get the picture. Which is weird because I've spent my whole career, 20 years of my life, building ideas, influences, movements and brands to drive a specific conversation, a specific purpose. So I've just never been able to figure out why I find this whole topic so uncomfortable until I came across a book written by my guest today. His name is Thomas Colster, advisor to Fortune 500 companies, author of two best-selling books, TED speaker and frequenter of more media appearances than I could possibly list. His first book, Goodvertising, Creating Advertising That Cares, created a movement that looked at how purpose could be used to unlock the world-bettering power of brands. However, it's his second and most recent book that caught my attention. That book was called The Hero Trap, 
how to win in a post-purpose market by putting people first. In this book, he literally takes a hatchet to his earlier beliefs. Now, other than just being a massive fan of anyone that can publicly, unapologetically and enthusiastically change their mind, it was this line on one of the first pages that got me. Screw your purpose. Who can you help me become? And it's that last question, who can you help me become? That's the backbone of our entire conversation today. In this conversation, we dive into the hero trap, what it is, how we get caught in it, and why the alternative is to shift our focus from purpose to enabling transformation. Why 65% of people say that they want to buy from purposeful companies, however, only 26% actually ever do. And what that tells us about the white noise that this entire subject has become. How to design your transformational promise. Think mission statement and then make it just completely practical and accountable. The surprising fact that people are willing to pay a premium price for a do-it-yourself journey, especially if it has a deadline. This one is completely fascinating. How to stop focusing on removing the barriers that stop us from purchasing, which we tend to obsess about, right? What is stopping people from buying what I have to offer? And start focusing on removing the barriers that stop us from becoming who we want to be. And finally, why we are in a period of time right now where brands alone, governments alone, leaders alone can't create the kind of top-down change that we need? The answer, creating pathways that enable the change to happen from the bottom up. You know, there was something very revolutionary for me in this conversation. I left with this feeling that the next age of marketing won't be about who can interrupt the most people on the most platforms, which modern day marketing would still seem to have us believe but who can effectively help the next evolution of its target market? The next evolution, who can effectively help their target market become a version of themselves that they want to be, that they are aiming to be, that they want to transform into? And you know what's even more revolutionary than that? That is marketing that we would pay to receive. Imagine that. Imagine being paid to send out your marketing. Imagine producing marketing that is so valuable that I would pay you to send it to me. Now that is a shift in thinking that is worth exploring. Now, for those of you who have some big visions for 2022 and are looking for a kickstart, I will be running my last ever live rapid authority masterclass in late January. It will be a virtual event so you can tune in from anywhere on the globe that you are, time zones allowing. We're going to be doing our best to keep everybody included. Why is this my last ever? Well, I'll be talking more about that in another announcement. There are big things happening next year for myself, for the Inside Influence team. However, if you want to make sure that you are on the wait list for what will be my last one, my last live masterclass, head onto my website juliemasters.com and register your details. You'll be able to access the wait list by going onto the masterclass page of my website. Also, don't forget that my newsletter Influence Insider gives you one bite-sized tool, strategy or mindset shift per week, all on the topic of building a more influential life. 
Once again, hop onto my website, juliemasters.com to become an insider. On that note, sit back, stretch out, saddle up and enjoy the unconventional wisdom of a man who is never afraid to change his mind, Thomas Colster. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas Colster. Thank you, Julie, for inviting me on a, on a lovely morning here in Copenhagen, way too early uh, for me, to be honest. You have been very gracious getting up early <laughs> this record, um, which I have to say makes a nice change for me because it's usually me getting up very early. And so I'm, I'm feeling bright as a button. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's karma, karma, I guess. It, it's good karma for me. Let's, I'm going to jump straight in. Let's jump into the first question, the question that I usually ask at the beginning of every podcast. And, and the reason that I ask it is because interesting people tend to get access to interesting ideas before the rest of us. And so my first question is, what's the one idea that's been having the most influence on you or your thinking recently? I think one of, one of the ideas that, that popped up, I was, I was doing a session around, um, all these brands trying to be become responsible uh, these days, and I, I see so many, you know, organizations, you know, the Planet Pledge on Stereotype Alliance, all these organizations launching each and every one of their own efforts, right? And I thought, uh, why, why in fact aren't we on issues that are so societally important? Why, why don't we all band together and do one thing? Why don't we always have to kind of reinvent the wheel and do our own things? And, and for me, that kind of connected with me as, as a broader idea in terms of how, how do we actually respond to some of these challenges. So I'll just take it and you tell me if I've got it right. You're saying rather than every single brand picking its own mission, its own journey, its own roadmap, why don't brands band together with a common purpose and solve it together? Sort of, but 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 as well for the organisations, you you have the you know the advertising associations, you have the agencies associations, you have so many associations out there, and what they tend to do for the membership is they all do these own like little programs and things like that. And I'm like, why can't we just all kind of work together? Why do we why do we need to launch programs ourselves? And I think it's something that you know even goes back to some of the stuff I did with good advertising in the early days because. I thought, you know, we, we, we're not competitors. In fact, in this space, we're not competitors. Let's, <laughs> let's collaborate and do something super exciting and impactful together. Mm, I, that idea has got so many legs on so many levels from a societal point of view, different groups, from a brand point of view, from an association point of view. I don't know if I'd take it as far as politics. I can't see how that would can't see how that works. In a different world, maybe, but right now I can't see how that would work. No, you know, you know what? You know, in politics we do sort of have it, but you can you can discuss the effectiveness of it. But 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 I, but I do think there's a recognition now with the pandemic and all that we all live on this little beautiful blue planet. And I think actually in some aspects, even though there are tremendous flaws around the United Nations, I do think that that is a body that does have sort of a global uh, collaborative approach. Um, it's just probably the 
there's some flaws with that institution. But I, I, I like, I like the, I like the idea of a United Nations because, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a globalist by heart. So, same, same, exact same. I'm. I spent a bit of time looking into the the whole theory of global governance for a while because there's something that is so appealing in that for me. But then you look at the UN as the only case study we have right now in that type of body and how that could work and whether it works and its flaws and its benefits. And obviously we don't, it doesn't have a huge, it has a blueprint for some for success in some areas and has a blueprint for unfortunately not having the scope of powers that it needs in others. But the idea of it is fascinating. I, I love it. And I, 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 you know, looking, looking at the, sort of response to the pandemic in some aspects were also incredibly disappointing right uh because i think the response was sort of country first you know <laughs> and, oh, well, we, i live in australia our response was state first i mean it's state against yeah. state here at the moment yeah. as to who will open their borders to who and for how long and for what so it's gone even more micro than that yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's, that's just, I mean, that's just disappointing because we are in, in quite a divisive environment already. And I thought the pandemic, if that could teach us everything, anything that should be around collaboration, right? Because if we then kind of take the approach in terms of climate change, you know, it's the same thing that's needed. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter too much if uh, I'm calling in from Denmark today, but but if we in Denmark are cutting down on our emissions and we're living up to the pledge, but if 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 nobody else is joining that effort, it's it's really not. Um, it's just a little a little drop in the bucket, right? So, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, there's a whole world there of yeah. potential for collaboration on a number of different issues. But that's not what we're here to talk about today, although I could talk about it for a while. <laughs> what I what I want to talk about, and that's what I love about this first question, to be really honest, because I love the fact that it goes in so many different directions, that people who are looking for ideas are the ones that find them, and those ideas take you in all manner of different directions in your thinking. But let's let's talk about the hero trap right now. So, well, tell me about it. What? Let's start with that. What is the hero trap? <laughs> what is the hero trap? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's the title of my of my latest book, and and I've just to kind of add some background to it. I've 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 sort of been in the purpose space for quite quite a number of years, and more than a decade, and and, and wrote a book. Uh, yeah. I think 10 years ago called Goodvertising, in fact, provoked by the by our government's inability uh, to do anything effectively about climate change. So that provoked my first book. And and back then, you know, there weren't a lot of sort of purposeful brands around. You know, there's the likes of Dove, uh, Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's. I think we, we kind of all know those brands. But but fast forward to today, I suddenly saw uh, quite a lot have happened, in fact, and in, in some aspects, I should be incredibly happy because a lot of brands are, are sort of standing up uh, to to that challenge. Uh, others are sort of bandwagoning on that challenge. Uh, but one one key question I asked myself because I saw, wait a moment, why aren't we seeing more change happening? And so the key question I asked myself was, in fact, what brand lead organization 
have created positive change in, in, in my life. And I'd actually love to hear your response to that question as well. <laughs> but, and, 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 and by doing so, I actually realized that we're dealing with leadership in the wrong way at the moment because we're building brands that pits themselves as the heroes, that stand on this pedestal and say, we're going to do something about plastic change. We're going to do something or ocean plastics. We're going to do something about climate change. And each and every time, we see them being criticized. And yet in the book, I then found out that, wait a moment, that's not what we need. We don't need preachers, we need coaches, because it's so incredibly difficult to create change in my life. So the hero trap is actually about brands that put on that hero cape and, and they fail. One of, one of the lines that really kind of hit me straight between the eyes was, screw your purpose, who can you help me become? And I, I love that because I've al I've always had this tricky relationship with the word purpose, and it was it gave me an insight as to why because the word purpose is very insular, right? By its nature, it's all about me, my purpose, all about me. It's not inclusive. It doesn't it literally doesn't include anybody else. And so, what does that flip looks like from look like from you know a brand with a here's I am a brand. Here is my purpose. I am an individual. Here is my purpose. To what can I help you become? You know, I, I think it's interesting, right? I mean, if you literally, if you took ninety-nine percent of brands and sat them down in a psychologist chair, they would probably say the brand is either megalomaniac or de de delusional. I mean, if if you if you listen to some of those statements, um, you know, even and I, I often choose Patagonia just to kind of you know because I, I used to be a copywriter, so take things literally when they when they write them right, and and they say we're in the business to save our home planet, uh, and I'm like really, I mean you you do you make T-shirts uh, for people who are stuck in a one-bedroom apartment in Sydney and, and and dream about a little bit of greenery, that's basically what you're doing, and I think that's that's my beef with purpose as well. I think you're spot on. I think it's 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 sort of you put on this thing of, of 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 sainthood in a way i mean i'm i have this burning passion i have this burning purpose and the thing is how many people do we actually really know that has that i mean honestly <laughs> and so it's it's a, it's a ludicrous concept to think that when i go down in the supermarket I need to have, you know, on each and every shelf, there's a Nelson Mandela, there's a Greta Thunberg, there's a, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. Uh, so for me, I really wanted to reframe that sort of idea about leadership. And, and for me, I think the greatest leaders in my life have in fact been the ones that helped me grow, that helped me um, get a new perspective. Uh, that inspired me. I mean, when you talked about the idea thing early on, you know, I think it's about that. And and so we're building purposeful brands that in some aspects, I think are falling out of love with people because they don't really play a meaningful role in our lives. They're just these sort of navel gazing, preaching brands that people are like, yeah, you know. Mm. You also said that, you know, just put some statistics behind this, 65% of people said that they want to buy from purposeful companies and yet only 26% do. Now, is that telling us that, you know, what we say and what we do are two different things because that's, you know, not shocking for, for most of us? <laughs> or 
is it saying that that this kind of purpose-driven narrative, this purpose-driven way way of going to market has become just more white noise right now? I think there's a lot of aspects to it. And 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 one of the reasons why I really zoomed in on that kind of intention action gap is in fact that from the first book, Good Advertising, I was always very interested in the business case of purpose in the business case of, of creating brands that have and play a meaningful role in our lives. And secondly, also in the sense that we, we are obviously confronted <laughs> with a climate emergency that we sort of need to solve. So we sort of have to find a way to motivate people. And so I really started to look at that intention action gap. And, and one of the things that provoked me to write this book, in fact, was that I realized I'm really, really bad at creating change in my own life. I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I have this thing each and every year where I go away on a, on a sort of retreat and I, and I look at some of the things that I wanted to change uh, over the last year, both in the business and in my private life. And I just realized it's tough. It is really tough. And I mean, you know, for those of you who are listening today and, and those of you who try to smoke, I mean, you can, your doctor can tell you, you, you know, you're going to die. I mean, your loved ones can kind of try and nudge you. Uh, even like, even the packaging, I mean, those, you know, horrible pictures of lungs that are just sort of being eaten. But, but by the end of the day, the only one who can create that change is in fact, uh, you know, yourself. And so I wanted to create a different model. And that's exactly what who can help people become. So I looked at behavior. Uh, I looked at uh, I looked at uh, coaching. I looked at uh, psychotherapy to find a model of building brands that actually put people first. That actually looked at people's ambitions, challenges, um, and 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 that's sort of how one of the fundamental questions that came out of and 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 the the model is called the Arrow. But one of the fundamental questions in the era is, in fact, who can you help people become? Because it, it really kind of puts people, um, people's lives and ambitions and self-actualization at the center of how we build brands. And I think that's exactly what adds meaning. I don't know if you if you know, but you're making me think of a, something I read a long time ago, which is that Alcoholics Anonymous is is the most successful behavior change program on the planet, more so than any other behavior change program. And as somebody who comes from a background of, you know, education and thought leadership and speakers, that was always really fascinating to me. You know, what is it about Alcoholics Anonymous that makes it such a successful program? And we're diving into that question, number one is you have to you have to admit that you have a problem and that there's something that you can't control, you've tried to control and you're not able to. But number two is that it is a step-by-step process. If somebody has decoded the road, somebody has navigated the path for you, and then you get a mentor along your way, a sponsor slash mentor along the way. But the key part there is that they have decoded the road. It is step-by-step. And so is that part of what you're talking about here, that step away from who you want to be in the world, step towards who can you help someone become, is the next part of that that you need to break it down into a step-by-step journey? In, in some aspects it is. I, I can see the brands that, you know, so the outcome of, of sort of the, the arrow and 
asking this question. I call it transformative promise because it's in fact a promise about a change that you can enable in people's lives. And I've interviewed, you know, tons of brands and, and leaders from big organizations like P&G to uh, small challenges brands like District Vision. And one thing I saw again and again was in fact that the brands and leaders who really figured out a clear, meaningful role to play in people's lives were also way better at driving that change in in my life, in 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 in, the, in people's lives. And let me give you one example. So there's it it might actually operate in in Australia, in fact. But there's a, there's a health insurance company called Discovery, and their uh, transformative promise is uh, incentivizing people to live healthier. So so it's not it's not some do good for people and planet uh, typical purpose nonsense, right? Um, it's very, very concrete. And I think, I think that's also why they're successful. Because if you think about it, I mean, Julie, if you woke up this morning and, and you had like a purpose mantra written on your, on your, on your bedside mantle that said, you know, do good for people and planet or, you know, for a better tomorrow. I mean, what is it really you've got to change today? Well, it's an, it's an overwhelming st- way to start my day for a start. Way more overwhelming than my current way to start my day. Um, but I can, but I can see, I can see what you're saying. There, but I'm fascinated by the word that you used there, which was incentivize. So yeah. What do they do exactly? How do they do that? Yeah. So see, that's that's the interesting thing that again and again I saw these brands, and, and I think that's a, has been a challenge with purpose overall. The one thing is that people had a purpose, but they were not very good at activating it. And 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 with this approach, it did seem like the brands were much better at activating it. So one of the things they've done is they created a program called uh, Vitality. And basically, it's sort of like, you know, a lot of brands have reward programs. So it's basically a reward program. But the engine in the reward program is, in fact, each and every time I take a step towards healthy living. So if I go down and buy fruits and vegetables, I get rewarded. If I go to the gym, I get rewarded. And, and what's really fascinating about that case is, in fact, they've done a study where they uh, compared 200,000 people who took part in the program and 200,000 people who didn't. And by doing that comparison, they, they in fact found that the people who took part in the program exercised in some shape or form 5.1 days more per month. And I think that's an incredible achievement and, 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 and kind of really shows what does happen when you take a fundamentally different approach to the leadership. And as you said, a more concrete approach, you know, exactly who am I talking to, exactly who do they want to become and exactly how can I empower and incentivize them on that road. Um, there was another, there was another stat that's, that stuck out to me, which was that 43%, I'm a stat nerd, by the way, I need to, an addiction <laughs> I, I need to break. I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw, a, I'll, I'll throw a couple of stats. <laughs> no, don't, no, don't no, I need to. I need to break this addiction, honestly. Um, 43% of people believe that individuals, not governments or brands, are most effective at solving today's social change. Now, that just, that hugely struck me because, you know, we live in a digital age now, right, where we all have the power to start a conversation, start a movement, you know, one tweet, text can start or stop a revolution. Where... Let's just focus in on brands for a second. Where where do you believe brands sit in this completely, you know, tipped upside down power power pyramid that we now exist in? 
I think a lot of brands uh, behave like uh, parents who won't let a teenager uh, move away from home, you know, kind of kind of trying to hug them and control them and all this stuff, right? Not really respecting that now we're dealing with a young adult. Uh, yeah, that sometimes does mistakes, but that's how it is growing up. And, and unfortunately, uh, I think most brands still sort of live in that area of mass marketing. They, they haven't really come to grips with the fact that if you want to engage me, you know, it, it needs to be on my terms. <laughs> it's that simple because you described it well, right? It's, it's a completely different generation that's growing up right now. I mean, if I take my niece, she's 15. I mean, she knows what it takes to get likes on Instagram. She knows what it takes to convert people, to get them to click on images and stuff. She's probably a better CMO than most CMOs out there. And, and so it's quite a challenging space to operate in, especially if you um, insist on your way. I mean, just take the other day, I, I, I just moved and I had to cancel my, my internet contract. And, and, and yet you have this internet company who kind of says, but wait a moment, you have a, a three month period where, you know, I'm like three months. I, I want I want out of this. You know, imagine if you're in a relationship and you're breaking up and and <laughs> and you're like, hey, wait a moment, Thomas, that's a good idea, but I you know, you you have you'll have to stick around for three months Remember more. Remember our three month cooling off period. Remember? Exactly. That's yeah, that's just how it is. And and uh, and which taps into another thing that's that's in fact Again, around motivation, I'm, I'm I'm really interested in 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 that that part of it, and and in fact, we are in so many aspects not driven by status and money. We are we are uh, we are sort of driven by our own passions and the things that that makes us tick, right? Uh, and and so brands have an incredibly opportunity or an incredible opportunity to kind of tap, tap into that, you know, my creativity, my passions, and make that a driver of what whatever they want to do. And, and one of the things that I added in the book was something I called the wheel, which in fact looks at how can you enable and empower people across the whole marketing mix, from pricing to campaigning to distribution, and really put me at the center of it. Uh, because if I have a say, if I help shape something, if I help build something, I'm much more motivated and I'm much more engaged. And I think that's what brands need to realize today. Do you have any good examples of that? If I help build something, I mean, I know you used an example in the book, which is, you know, where if you especially look at new generations, they're not interested in buying things anymore. They're interested in buying experiences. They don't want to eat the pasta. They want to make yeah. the pasta. And that's the yeah. difference between the hero approach, which is, you know, here it is beautifully packaged and pretty and, and look at me, aren't I fabulous, to yeah. the transformational approach, which is let me empower you to do something incredible. Can you give, what are some other examples of that enabling people to build their own path, essentially? I mean, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of examples that popped up when we, when we did the research and, 
and and some uh, some organizations were good at just doing like a little a little a little twist on a sort of like a a, a, a sales gimmick. I mean, if you take a brand like Respect Your Universe, uh, it's a Canadian uh, sports retailer. I love them because basically most sports retailer, if you think about it, you go into the store and it's always these super athletic guys that are like, oh, you want to start playing paddle? And they're like, you know, and you already feel like a little bit intimidated by, by that approach. And so what Respect Your Universe figured out was, why don't we build a sports retailer for average people? And, and the transformative promise they have is in fact, uh, helping people, whatever their goals are in life and in sport. And, and it's just so incredibly empowering. Even when you go in there, behind the counter, it's ordinary people. And, and one of the things they've done is in fact, let's say your goal was to lose weight and a year later, you can't fit the pants that you bought. You can go in there and you can change them. And it's just a little thing, but, but it, 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 it for me really kind of, shows what that company believes in and 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 uh, and that they really want to kind of help you on on your journey but it can also be simple things i can i can give you an example uh, where i actually sort of fall fell into the hero trap uh, <laughs> because you know in march when march last year whatever we always forget when the lockdown in fact started but in march we obviously wanted to say serve our community because you know, we started doing webinars like everybody else and we started putting a price on it and we did discount codes and blah, 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 blah. But it was difficult after a while to convert people. It was difficult to engage the audience. And suddenly I realized, wait a moment, that was not what I was, um, that was not what I was uh, trying to share in the book. In fact, it was making people decide. So what we did was we said, okay, you decide the price you want to pay. And then we explain people that if you pay zero, zero dollars, uh, then at some point we can't do these webinars because it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a profitable business. If you pay 39, it's break even. If you pay 59, you know, by doing that, the interesting thing was we actually made more money and even more interesting. We are the people who didn't pay anything. We succeeded converting fifty percent of those to fifteen percent of those to paying customers. Wow, I, I've seen that a few different ways. Actually, I've got a, a customer a client of mine who was doing a similar thing. They were putting content out there, but it needed to become a, some form of a revenue model. And they said the same thing. You know, we you can pay whatever you want to pay. What once you have donated, whatever it is, we'll yeah. send you the link. So donate. We'll send you the link. This much again is is break even. This much means that we can get bigger and better guests and make this even better. And this much means we can also yeah. donate to portion of our profits to this particular charity. And so that you learning enables somebody else to learn that couldn't potentially afford it. And yeah. it is amazing how many people, when you give them, as you've said, they give them either choice, but you also let them climb the ladder themselves. Most people want to head for the top of the ladder. But, and plus, there's so much research that does show that obviously what we invest time and effort in, uh, we love more. Um, and I think that's what a lot of fashion businesses, uh, food businesses uh, on Instagram have realized, in fact, that 
you know, they, they open up for people's creativity. They ask them what they want. What color do you want this cap in? You know, all this stuff. And it matters. Uh, so I, I really do think that, that we need to get away from this we do everything approach to kind of open up and enable people. And I, and I think it's really interesting. And this is one of the, one of the conversations that, that stuck with me was when I interviewed the global CMO of P&G, Mark Pritchett. And he said that even though they've been in business for 180 years, they have some of the best researchers and developers um, and scientists employed, people still trust an 18-year-old kid that does soap in his mom's basement more than they trust P&G. Yeah. And, Do you and, want a and, stat on that? I, I've got a stat on that. If you want. Sixty-five <laughs> percent of people pr- trust um, human beings, and only thirty-five percent of people trust brands. So you look at doctors on the internet; would rather oh, yeah. take health advice from Crazy Mum ninety-nine on a on a strange blogging site we've never heard of than go to our actual doctor. Yeah. You know, in some in, in, in some aspects, that's that's disappointing, especially in, in, in these COVID times. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, fake news and nonsense going around. But but I, but I do, think, but but I, but I still do think that that there's this there's, there's a truth to that human connection. Right. That's that. And, 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 and that's also why, you know, why, why, why do so many brands in these digital Day, day and age go more automation uh you know let's 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 figure out a way of doing it rather than actually being incredibly human i mean again uh if i send an automated uh, you know happy anniversary uh card greeting to my 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 girlfriend i don't think she'd really appreciate it because she needs to show effort right yeah it was my my birthday a couple of months ago and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of automated LinkedIn messages, which meant that I couldn't find my actual LinkedIn messages because they were in <laughs> and amongst the rest of the messages, which meant that I had to spend a ridiculous amount of time because I was actually looking for some specific responses going oh. through all of these automated. It's crazy. And it's counterproductive. And it doesn't use digital to its best impact or effect. Um, you're, you're, you're reminding me there's a, a, an incredible lady called Nancy Duarte out of Silicon Valley. And she was one of the brains, one of the major brains behind the inconvenient truth, Al Gore's an inconvenient truth. And she said that the biggest flip in thinking that we need to make when it comes to being compelling, starting a movement, getting people engaged and taking action is that, you know, she had this beautiful way of putting it. She said, you are not Luke Skywalker. You are Yoda. Stop. And exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You you are not the hero. You are the person who's guiding along the way. You'll definitely, you'll definitely have to share that uh, quote with me afterwards. So I, I get that right. I mean, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of one of the one of the one of the things that that uh, that's that's stuck with me as well in terms of kind of building movements was in fact uh, uh, Barack Obama when he got uh, when he stepped down as as president and he did his large speech in Chicago where he was actually uh, where he was elected into the Senate and and we all know the yes we can campaign obviously. <laughs> And but but he he put it he put it so well because he says yes we can 
was not about uh, all of you believing in me as a president to create change. Yes, we can was in fact uh, about all of you believing in your own ability to create change. And, and for me, that's, that's leadership, right? Um, and I think that's why at the moment we see so many brands and leaders run into the hero trap because they just get it wrong. I want to talk about the transformative promise because I think that that's such a, a beautiful structure that somebody can work with when stepping out of the hero trap and into becoming a trans, transformational leader or a transformational brand. Um, you said that we don't buy the first bit, the, we don't buy the what or the why anymore. And now for, you know, for many of us, we've read the classic Simon Sinek book, you know, Start With Why, it's an amazing book. So if we're not starting with why, what are we, what are we starting with now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think, you know, Simon Sinek's uh, ideas and, 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 and visions, and I, I was inspired by those in my first book. But uh, the issue is obviously that what it does is that it builds, it builds many heroes, and um, it, it's it's kind of right. It's purpose yeah, oriented. Yeah, it's it's kind of counterproductive to what a hero is. In fact, right? Uh, <laughs> I, there's there's a not there's not a lot of heroes. Uh, there's not a lot of heroes around, and that's also and and, I, and you'll still have to answer that question. In fact, what leader or brand organization and create a positive change in your life. But the marketplace is changing. I think that's the key thing that uh, there's so many purposeful brands out there that are claiming to have uh, and, and play a big role in our lives. And, and, um, and so what I figured or what I wanted to understand was how do we do this with authenticity? How, how can I truly actually believe in this brand that it plays a meaningful role in my life? And, 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 and so, so let me give you, let me give you an analogy here. Uh, so, so I actually did just break up with my girlfriend three weeks ago Well, we broke up in fact, or, or she actually broke up with me, which is even worse, but at some point. Is there a three month cooling off period? No, she didn't buy that. I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to convince her about that, you know? Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah. So if you're listening, honey, then, uh, yeah, I'll know anyways, but. You know, when you're trying to rescue a relationship, and I think it's the same with brands, you know, in, in the beginning, you try and, and, and say, you know, uh, you know what, honey, you know, I'm going to promise to put down the toilet seat, you know, uh, yes, I know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll empty the dishwasher, all that stuff. Like when brands are kind of coming out there and saying, yeah, we want to do something about plastic uh, in the oceans, blah, blah, blah. Secondly, we want to see actions, right? Because at some point words aren't enough they won't cut it so uh you might not just believe that the brand is value driven so you want to see proof so i start putting the toilet seat down and start emptying the dishwasher and all of that stuff but that might still not be enough right and so i think the real key thing in terms of showing authenticity and effort is in fact how i make her feel if she feel loved inspired is you feel like she's growing uh, in the relationship. And so that's why I truly believe that it's not about the values or the why, it's really about who you can help people become. It's about what, if, 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 
if IKEA go out there and they say, you know, we want to make a billion people live more sustainably, can I feel that? Did I see that change? You know, did they make me more committed, more community oriented? Did they make, did they change my, my eating habits uh, in, a, in a healthier direction? And I think that's the, the key. And I think that's something we, we all recognize in our lives uh, from the, from the, the leaders and, and, and from, from our friends as well. You know, some of the friends that, that are there that inspires us uh, through even difficult times, those are the ones that we are committed to. And I think that's that's a narrative that we need to change. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question because you've asked me you've asked me a couple of times now. And <laughs> I I'm, can see your eyes was like you, you were searching. Eyes. <laughs> you were searching for an answer. So concerned that you're gonna ask me a third time and I'm not gonna have an answer. <laughs> so I, I have just been thinking then while you're talking and also, you know, processing what you're saying. But the when I actually answered the question asked the question to the back part of my brain the answer came really easily and clearly and the answer was that there's a gym franchise here in Australia I think it's global too I think it's also in the states and I think it's in the UK and it's called F45 and F45 is called functional 45 it's a 45 minute um 45 minute workout but what was transformational about it for me is that you go into these gyms and there's big screens on the wall because for me, I can't ever remember what I'm supposed to be doing next. My brain's going 100 miles an hour. I'm thinking about my day. I'm thinking, constantly thinking. I'm not going to remember more than two things that I need to do. And so they have these big screens and the workouts on the screen, the exercise you're supposed to be doing is being repeated over and over again on the screen. And then there's a countdown for taking a breath. And then it's being there's somebody on the screen repeating the next exercise for you. So that was number one. But what got me into going to that gym, and it's a stupidly expensive gym, it's at least three times more expensive than any other gym. Um, what got me in is that they have this thing called the eight-week challenge, and they've become very famous for this eight-week challenge. It's free, and people post about it like crazy. You start, you get, you go, you stand on the machine, it gives you all your measurements. Um, they give you some core rules. You know, you need to work out three times a week. There's a certain eating plan that you need to, you know, work with. There's a couple of other things you need to do. You need to take a photo of yourself once a week for eight weeks. But there's this huge trend. And if you Google now, if you Googled um, eight-week challenge, F45, eight-week challenge, you'd see all the before and after photos. It's this viral thing that occurs. And that's the container that F45 has created in terms of who you want to become. If, if you, you say you're coming to the gym to take a particular kind of a journey, we have decoded the road. We have mapped it out for you. It's called the eight-week challenge. It's here for you. And we'll support you every step of the way. I think that's a brilliant example. I think that's a brilliant example of transformative brand and, 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 and just listening to your passion around it, in fact, that that you you are you are you're a brand ambassador full on because you you feel they've delivered something meaningful in your life yeah to the point to the point where i now do the the eight week challenge every year to varying degrees of success but i do it every year um but to the point where and this is a true story when lockdown first happened the franchisee of that gym in my local area she called me and she said um we're obviously closed i'm going to stop your direct debits. And I said, no, please don't. 
I'm happy, even though I can't go, I'm happy to pay you 50% of my membership fee every week because you've played such a role in my life up until this point and I don't want to back away from you in your moment of need. And I think that's 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 really, it, it shows a couple of things. Um, it shows that a brand has helped you bridge the intention action gap, which is crucial. Secondly, we did a research in the book where we compared purposeful commercials with transformative commercials. Um, and the interesting thing was some of the outtakes was people feel uh, on average 29.6% more motivated by a transformative approach. But more interestingly, people are 29.4% of people were willing to pay a premium price. Because you're paying for the roadmap. You're paying for the blueprint. Yeah, and you, I, I, think, I think the thing is that if you don't play a meaningful role in people's lives, you know, I think, I think for me, it's, it's, it's the essence of what a brand should be. Um, and, 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 and to me, uh, what, what I loved about interviewing a lot of these leaders and, and, and diving into some of these cases was that each and every one of those cases were incredibly inspiring because it it was leaders who i mean take district vision it's it's um it started by two young guys in 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 the late 20s and basically what they they came from fashion and and they suddenly they loved running and they looked at running glasses and they were like why do they look like these <laughs> ugly kind of plastic things that kind of a little bit like like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator movie, right? With the, and 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 so they wanted to do something about that. But what was so brilliant about it was that they, they both of them did yoga at the time, and so, so they felt it needed to be about something bigger than, than than selling. Selling a product, plucking a product. So so in fact, they on a mission. Uh, to inspire people towards mindful running. And they've been incredibly uh, successful in that. And I think we all kind of recognize that. I, I love running, uh, but I, I don't do it to compete. I do it to to kind of just cool off, get ideas, refresh. And and so for them, it was really about this connection with, with the mind and the body. And they, they, they do that. And that's what, you know, if, if you go to the Instagram, if, if you go to their, their, their webpage, that's, that's what they believe in. And, and those two guys, which is so inspiring to talk to, because even now they are running a program in, in the prisons in New York, where they right now teach mindful training, mindful exercise in the prisons. So having, having this shift from being a brand that's about transaction to be about to be about transformation i think it's incredibly inspiring it's just hit me as well that by focusing on transformation rather than purpose you that road leads you to become the purpose like you follow that road you eventually become the purpose you, you, yeah, in, in, in some aspects I, I i actually truly believe you do i, I think at least you 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 find yourself you 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 start living up to your values you start living up to some of the aspirations and dreams that you have and, and you have a, a brand or leader that's helping you achieve that uh 
And I think also one of the things that I didn't solve in my first book, uh, which I think is fundamental for us to 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 solve this. In fact, um, um, how do we get out of this consumption drive? How how do we do that? And if if you think about it, I mean, our cities, the internet, everything has become about buying stuff. And and I you know I'm not surprised that brick and mortar stores are failing because. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's almost like they haven't evolved from the good old days of communism, you know, where you go in and 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 those those kind of stores just had like you know fifty vacuum cleaners. That was that was it. You'd stand there and you like look at the vacuum cleaners, and and so I think there's a real opportunity to kind of re figure out what role you want to play. Even cities. One of the things I really love about traveling these days is that more and more cities look at us, not just as people who need to buy stuff, uh, but as citizens that want to live healthy lives. And I mean, uh, urban gyms are popping up everywhere. Um, uh, uh, community uh, spaces, urban gardens, all this stuff which is about transforming people. And, and the same thing, I think we need to uh, think about when we build uh, retail spaces going forward. I'm also loving cities, now that I've been able to travel recently, but loving cities that are able to take you on a creative journey as well. Um, like the High Line in New York, where, which is an old disused road for people who don't know what the Highland is, check it out, old disused road that they've turned into a green space and you follow the road past all these different kind of artworks on the wall up above the city, like a, it's a, a motorway that used to go above the city. It's incredible. And a city that can take you on a creative, acknowledge your need to be on a creative journey as a human being within a space. I love that. I I, I, I walked the, the Highline quite a, quite a few times actually. The last time I was... Uh... I was in the US, I was actually staying in Chelsea, so that was my little uh, morning uh, morning routine. Uh, but but you touched on something else, which is in fact, um, there are so many roles for brands and leaders to play in our lives. And in the book, I call it a who would. And, and it's really about finding these fascinating openings that nobody's playing. Uh, that nobody is 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 is, um, is utilizing. I mean, the gym you uh, mentioned just before, that might be for you. It might not be a, for everyone else. Respect to universe that I mentioned might be a store for a certain type of people. I like that approach, but I also have friends that are like you know, super goal oriented when they do when they run. They want to beat, you know, the, the time, the last time. If they don't do that, they're going to have a missable day. I mean, they're, completely, they're always competing with themselves. So that wouldn't be for them. And, and I think that's the little magic, magic, uh, uh, magic thing here is, in fact, that if you're a financial institution, if you're a car brand, if you're a gym, there are so many unutilized uh, roles that you can play that you can help us become, that you can combine. I mean, take Lego, for example, right? Isn't it just you know, amazing that you have a toy company that everyone feels great about because you know, it teaches your kids creativity, it, 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 it builds imagination, and 
and and and even they've been incredibly good at opening up for every builder's um, uh, passions. I mean, they have a pl- they have a platform called Lego Ideas, and I wish that had been around when I was a kid because basically what you could do is you can uh, you can upload your Lego model, and if enough people vote for it, they're actually going to turn that into a real product. Which goes back to what you were saying, which is enabling people to build. Exactly, exactly. Um, I do want to touch on very quickly, I talked about the transformative promise and there's some questions that you have here. I'm going to run through them very quickly right now, but they'll be in the show notes for anyone that's listening. But there was one in particular that I wanted to dive into with you. So the questions about building a transformative promise, um, why is it necessary? Why you, what is it that you do? How are you unique in delivering that service or product? Who do you help people become? Now, this is the one that really caught my curiosity. When do you enable this change? What's the deadline? Yeah. And that kind of hit me because I read it and I thought, why do we, why, why is a deadline important? I've never seen that before. <laughs> no. So as I said, the, the model is called the arrow. And, and obviously we've been working with leaders and organizations and brands for a number of years to perfect that model. It was, in fact, inspired, and I think it, it, it resonated with me when you talked about um, the, the anonymous alcoholics, that I looked at a coaching model called, I want, I can, I do. That's the model I started working with, which is a very, very basic model um, in coaching. There's something that you want, you're building up capabilities to achieve it, and obviously, you know, the incentive to do it, I do. And, and so that was the key thing that I started working on because the when for me, I noticed when it wasn't in the model, because you can obviously say, who can you help people become? There's a built-in change in that question. There's, there's, there's a change in status from uh, maybe feeling unhealthy and, and wanting to become healthier. But the when for me was about uh, emphasizing the change that needs to happen and when. And the when can be, it can be every day. So for example, IKEA stands up for sustainable living every day. Uh, The when, when we looked at the example of discovery was incentivizing. So it's an imperative, it's a call for action. and, and so for me, that was incredibly important that when you shape that transformative promise, that you really thought about, um, that you really thought about that, 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 that when it could also be a, a, uh, it can be a time of day. It can be a certain period in your life. Um, and, and so for, for me, the when was important because change without a deadline is not going to happen and i think the when in some aspects is you know your little eight-week program there's a there's a sort of when built into that as well there's an absolute when and and i keep going back to that word that you said which was concrete it's not a you know come here it's challenging and eventually you'll get there if you you know if you try hard enough and it's a no this is this is eight week it's called an eight-week challenge you do yeah. the things that we ask you to do in eight weeks. You will get the transformation that you are looking for in eight weeks. My husband's doing at the moment. Have you heard of seventy-five hard? No. Uh, another fitness phenomenon. This one started in the states. I think a guy called Andy Frazella started it. Um, it's free. 
it's an app you download it it's and it's called 75 hard it's for it's self-explanatory it's 75 days and it's very hard (laughs) (laughs) but where that's important is you were talking about different kinds of people right and my husband has no interest in he's very interested in mental discipline he's very interested in physical exercise programs that require extreme mental toughness. That's his jam. That's his thing. I have zero interest or attraction to that level. For me, it would be called, you know, 75 life is hard enough. Thank you very much. So, you know, for him, 75. I'm I'm on exactly the same pace as you on that one. (laughs) Yeah. But again, goes back to the importance of the deadline, the importance of the timeline in making it absolutely concrete. Yeah, one one of the one of the fascinating things was in, in in doing the research and writing the book was just how much easier everything is when you figure out the meaningful role that you want to play in people's lives. When you can answer that one fundamental question, that's almost an amazing business idea within itself. And and if you actually look at some of the most valuable brands, they are and have quite a strong transformative promise. If you look at Red Bull, look at Nike, if you look at Apple. And, and, and so I think a lot of the time, uh, you know, when a CMO complain about there's no engagement, or when you have a brand that are sort of falling out of love with people, or, you know, I think it's because they just haven't figured out the meaningful role that they want to play. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the pain point. And it's so, so, so much easier. And I think that's the thing about purpose. It's so much easier on board level or as a C-suite to commit to something that's not a commitment. And I think don't we all do that in our daily lives as well. Right. We, we, there's something that we're like, yeah, I should change that, you know, but, you know, and and that's that's why I see, unfortunately, the purpose being uh, misused as a movement in the sense that, oh, we're a software company. We know young people care about the environment. Uh, probably it's find a nice sounding purpose. Um, if if you as a leader or as a brand are really passionate about change, I think you need to take change seriously. And, and that starts with that commitment, that starts with that promise, that starts with kind of answering those four questions in the arrow, then you're committed. And, and, and then, then you can in fact move people. And I think you can in fact also create some pretty interesting, meaningful connections with people that people are more willing to pay, uh, to pay for. I think that the example that you shared, you know, that sort of, that sort of brand love is, is amazing, right? That, that you actually consider wait a moment, I'm actually willing to pay to, to keep this going. I mean, how, how many of us would do that? I mean, there's these surveys from Have As Meaningful Brands that says that the majority of people don't care whether three quarter of brands die. And that really just shows that most brands just haven't figured this out just yet. Which probably leads me, leads me to ask the question, you know, where... Where do you see this going? I mean, we're, we're in a period of time, right, where brands alone, governments alone, leaders alone, you know, we can't create the scale of change that is needed. And you add to that the fact that every company on the planet is currently trying to figure out how to get and keep attention, how to get people, 
take, take that attention even if you can get it and convert it into action. Where, where do you see this going? Where do you see the future of marketing, branding 10 years from now, given everything that we've discussed? I think the key is, and I think COVID has taught us that as well, and you touched on it a little bit, but, but in fact that we figured out the best things in life aren't things. I mean, we, we as societies, uh, obviously now we take a sort of developed world perspective, <laughs> but, but uh, in a period of, of so extreme material wealth that with my niece, uh, Clara, I mean, she's grown up in a world where she has so much stuff. She's already been traveling half the world. And yet again, she's applauded for being the conscious generation, which in my opinion is BS because she's already polluted more than I had uh, uh, in her short lifetime. And, and so I think it's really about what Pine and Gilmore touches on in their books uh, uh, about, you know, we, we, we're getting closer and closer to this sort of transformation economy which is really about human betterment. And I think this is where brands should aspire towards um, to, to be relevant, where businesses should, should aspire towards to become relevant. Because I think for too long, business is about pushing once. Now I think it's really about solving fundamental needs in our lives. Um, so I'm in fact, uh, and I'm an optimist uh, by heart, but I'm actually I'm actually super excited about this movement, um, be because it's it's you know for for me the competition, the commercial commercialization, consumerism, all of that. What is what is that really worth if it it doesn't by the end of the day improve uh, all of our lives and makes us uh, better people? Um, and 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 so I I really I really feel that we're pushing towards this transformation economy, but secondly also that we're seeing this sort of post-purpose area play out, and I think that's also why I in the book obviously already encourage uh, leaders uh, to take this different approach where they don't pit themselves to the heroes, but but make all of us the heroes because we we all need to be heroes in our own lives. I think we can't sit around and wait for governments and brands to do their part. I think we need to stand up to the challenge ourselves and it's damn hard. I fail all the time and, uh, <laughs> and I'm definitely not a, a perfect ambassador for that. But I think that's also the great thing um, that, that as soon as we acknowledge change is hard, that's probably when change uh, is going to happen. When we, when we started myself and the, the team started this podcast, we sat down and had a discussion and part of the discussion was the fact that I was going to have to press go on this podcast. I was actually going to have to, the person who was in charge of pulling it all together was going on holiday and she said, you know, you're going to have to actually press go. You're going to have to press yeah. publish on this while I'm away. And the best way that I could get past myself when it comes to showing up in a transformational way was to say to myself, okay, this is this is not about being a hero. This is not about being perfect. This is this is going to be a passionately imperfect contribution. That is my commitment: a passionately imperfect contribution. And if I can come from that place, then I can press go. Any other place is just you know on top of a pedestal that I will fall flat on my face from <laughs> very very quickly. 
Um, so yeah, that line really helped me. It's something that it's, it's something that, uh, I keep repeating in the book as well, because embracing failure is so incredibly important. And, and what we in fact did, uh, so we got, uh, illustrator, uh, Adele Rodriguez, uh, to do the cover and, and he's, uh, uh, quite a famous, uh, us Cuban, uh, immigrant who's famous for his not so flattering portraits of Trump. Uh, he's been featured on Time Magazine, et cetera. But one of the things I got him convinced to do in the book was to share uh, the journey towards creating the cover that it ended up being, just to show some of those really, really bad ideas, to show that even though you have one of the world's best illustrators putting this together, obviously the path to success is a lot of a lot of a lot of wrong concepts a lot of bad ideas and i promised him to do the same thing so i uh, shared all the 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 bad titles the journey towards the hero trap in fact i mean caterpillar brands you know the great human potential uh, finding your own stick and carrot i mean some of that stuff is just, you know, and, and so it, it really resonates with me, uh, what you're saying in terms of, you know, sometimes it's just doing it. And, and, and I think my, the first book I wrote, I was 29, 30. I was a frustrated advertising creative who felt that why am I, sort of selling cars and cities that are way too congested why am i doing something that is not value aligned and there's got to be something that i can do to contribute and i remember when i pitched the book idea to uh, a creative colleague of mine that that i uh, that i that i was um that i had a really high respect for and he, he said to me what at all makes you capable of writing a book like that that, that was sort of his response. I mean, what, how can you write a book about that? Because what have you done in that space? And I looked at him and I was so stunned by his sort of demand for qualifications. And, and, and it just came out of me like, because I'm writing it. It's another choice point there. And I use the word choice point literally because, and I'm going to let you go in a second. There's, there's, there's two buckets, right, that we can live in. Well, not two buckets. There's two sides of the line that you can live on. You can live on the side of the line that waits to be chosen, that waits for somebody to say, it's you, you know, for the clouds to part, the sunbeam to hit your head, the angels to start singing, and for your industry, your colleagues, your peers, your family, whoever it may be, that someone suddenly points to you one day and goes, that you are the chosen one. We have to, we have talked and we have decided you are the chosen one. You know, there's that side of the line. And yeah. then there's the other side of the line, which is when you choose. And that is exactly what you just did. You know, you said, because I'm writing it, because I have chosen to make a contribution here as imperfect or imperfect or well-received or badly received as it may be. And one side of the line is um, comfortable and the other side of the line, comfortable at first and gets increasingly less comfortable as you get older. And the other side of the line is 
very uncomfortable because that's where showing up lives. You're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's something that, um, I try and live by daily, but it's also something that I try to tell young advertising creatives, uh, growing up in this industry. It's in fact that if you're not, uh, here to stick your neck out and to take risks, go and work in a bank because the creative industry is not for you. Uh, you need to put yourself out there. Uh, you need to be open-minded and, and I think all of us, I mean, I remember when I was a young, young ad creative and I was always kind of a little bit like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, you know, you know, my precious that I would hold on to my ideas. Like they were these gold nuggets. I would never share them because I thought I was a genius that I'd come up with some Grand Prix winning thing. And, and now I learned, no, it's really not about that. It's, it's really about sharing. It's about getting as much input as you can. Uh, it's about dialogue. It's about all these other things that, that makes, that makes things better. The feedback that, that, you know, and, and I think, and I think a lot of this for me and, and the journey that I have been on has sort of always been about change and, and really trying to figure out what it takes to create change. So from my first book where I was, uh, uh, a 30 year old frustrated advertising creative that sort of just felt that I had to write the book and hopefully I could inspire some other people to be able to find a better balance between values and the work that we're doing to today where I feel that when I think about it, and I think I actually touched on it in the four words, it's actually sort of still the same mission. It's still actually just being a catalyst for other people's positive change. It's still the same, still the same thing that, that, that wakes me up in the morning and, and, and a lot of that is not sitting in my chair and waiting for a door to open, but it's really just to try and open as many doors as humanly possible. Mm. And embracing every bad idea that comes along the way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I try, you know, I, I remember, I mean, because at the you know, as you know, I, I do, um, I do quite a few keynotes and things, uh, and, and I remember the first many times I was on the stage, English is not my first language. I, I do mistakes all the time and being on that stage, typically what, what I always hated was being there with, with someone from the UK because something about them, you know, that like the way they talk, it's just so perfect. Right. And I always absolutely hated it because then I had to go up on stage just after that sort of perfect picture, picture perfect presentation. And then the Dane comes and, you know, butchering the language and, you know, all of that stuff. But it took me probably four years to in fact gain the confidence where I was like, Hey, wait a moment. What am I doing? Because I'm on stage trying to copy someone else that are not me. Why don't I just embrace who I am? And then I bring that on stage. 
And, and then I talk about my ruined relationships, about my own experiences, about all that stuff. I'm just going to bring full on Thomas on the stage. And then hopefully people connect with it. And, and I think that was my sort of transformation from being a lousy keynote speaker to being a sort of okay keynote speaker. But that's the journey. That That's yeah. the journey of influence. The journey of influence is first you, first you decide, first you choose, and then you try on all these different outfits of all these other people that, you know, isn't that what influence looks like? Like that jacket over there, isn't that what influence looks like? That voice over there, that accent over there, that social media post and style over there. And, you, you know, everyone goes through that phase. And then you you hit this point where you suddenly realize that you're not, it's not sustainable to do it like anybody else. If yeah. you're going to commit properly, it's not sustainable to do it like that. And your only job is to turn up the volume on who you are and keep turning up that volume. And part of that is you turn up the volume on the mistakes just as much as you turn up the volume on the successes, which is exactly what you've done with this book. Um, before Before I let you go, my final question, if there's, if there's, if I could put in front of you every single person that you wanted to influence, and I know that would have to be a pretty large room, um, and I gave you a microphone and I gave you five minutes, what's the, what's the one thing that you would want them to know? I'll definitely answer that question because it's a really good uh, question. But one thing that you just made me think of was describing those steps, you're actually sort of describe that I want, I can, I do in the model that inspired uh, the arrow. So um, that's, that's the journey of, of, of change. That's the journey of transformation that's sort of built into the arrow methodology. Uh, <laughs> but um, one thing that uh, I'm thinking about a lot these days is uh, this extremely divisive time, this extremely divisive period we're living in. And, and this, uh, this new sort of purism, uh, brand activism, where everything just needs to be, you know, perfect and also value driven. I think who I would like to talk to is in fact, all the people who don't get this, the people who don't believe in climate change. Uh, the p people who don't believe in fundamental human rights. Uh, because I think we shouldn't be pointing fingers at those people because if they don't know better, it's like when you, when, when you, when, when, when you, when you were in, 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 in school and, and you were in a math class and, and, and why would you point fingers at those who were sitting on the back rows who didn't get math? And so those are probably the people I would love to talk to uh and and tell them you know um we um we we understand that you're skeptical so what's what's happening and that you have you know other uh ideas about the change that needs to happen you know um let's let's talk about that um let's talk about that and let's see how we somehow can find a way that you feel you can live uh, and and I can respect the way that you live, but we're also going to do that within the planetary boundaries 
and in a way that uh, where we can get along with each other. I think those are the people I would love to talk to because at the moment, I really don't like the environmental movements that's happening right now. Uh, I don't like the heated uh, political diversity debates. Um, I, I think I think we really need to be building bridges between those two sides at the moment because it's become crucial. Um, I'm I'm tired of I'm tired of this sort of negative debate, and I, and I often even get pulled into that stuff. You know, I I again and again on stage when I write. I tell people I'm not perfect. And yet again, you have people from the purest uh, environmental um, um, organizations and whatnot movements pointing fingers at me and saying, why are you flying? Why are you? I never said, <laughs> I never said that I wouldn't fly. I in fact say that when I fly, I actually still love flying business class. I got to admit that if it's long haul, I love that. It's tough, I know, but but I, I want to be honest about that, and I think it's it's about time that we have those honest conversations, and 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 we try and create change on people's terms rather than you know upholding some sort of higher values and start mm-hmm. throwing stones at people because who should be throwing that first stone by the end of the day? You know, if you if if we look at any cataclysmic human rights failure over however many decades it's always started with the concept of the other with the creation of the other and that was I kept coming back to that in my head when you were just saying that that you know whenever we are in a position or a conversation or a a movement that has deliberately or accidentally created the concept of the other then we're in trouble both sides of that are in trouble and that never creates anything good, anything lasting, anything collaborative or, or useful. So I love the fact that rather than collecting a group of people together that potentially agree with you already, you would call in the people who have been put in the box labeled the other and start a dialogue with them. Thomas, thank you so much for getting up early for the conversation. <laughs> I very much appreciate it. What, a, what, a, Julie? What a bit, you know, what, what a way to begin the day, full of inspiration, uh, full of hope, uh, full of optimism, and also, I guess, for me, um, I need to get out today and and talk to that other uh, that might be a little challenge for me today and probably encourage your listeners to do that as well. And yeah, and, and thanks for, um, and thanks for uh, lending, uh, lending your, your voice and, and, uh, and, and all your waves to, uh, to my message. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea or brand in your space, then I have good news. 
You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.